for every available truck at the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, there are more than 13 truck loads waiting to be picked up. How bad is the truck driver shortage? It is a serious issue. Long Beach Port Director Mario Cordero says he expects the new deal with the Biden administration to keep ports open 24-7 will help speed up long waits. If a truck driver shows up at 5 in the morning, you're not going to wait two hours to get into the terminal. That's good news for Ron Bodnar, who has big dreams for a new job driving a big rig. What made you make the decision right now? The money, kind of. Most of the nation's goods are transported by truck. Drivers are in demand, and they're commanding higher salaries, up 25% since 2019. In a couple of years, I'd like to hit the six figures. So there's a lot of interest in your driving school right now? Yes. But Harbor Trucking School owner Luis Franco says none of his drivers could get licenses for months when the pandemic hit because the Department of Motor Vehicles shut down. And even now, it can take months to get an appointment. The DMV um, needs to make it a priority in order for them to get out there on the road and start making money. Right now, it's about putting products back on store shelves. I think there are cost issues, uh, particularly when you talk about labor costs for the third shift. On the other hand, what is the cost of doing nothing? We now see what that is. Uh, my name is Pierre Laguerre. I'm co-founder and CEO of Fleeting. Uh, Fleeting is uh, it's essentially a platform where we leverage technology to pair CDL truck drivers with underutilized trucks and give them greater control of their schedule and give them greater control of their earnings. Welcome back. <laughs> um, Thank you. So Pierre and I were just, all right, so one Pierre, obviously, as everyone can see, he's in his car. Um, he is not driving. He's not driving, but he's in the car. Um, and I don't care where anyone is. It's, it's a, whenever you're available to talk is when I come back to you. Um, but Pierre, the last time I spoke to Pierre, Pierre was, Number five is like the fifth person that we had on the podcast um, starting in April of 2020 when I had the program on and he was on on May 14th, 2020. So we're going to like, I, I need to know, how are you? How are you? Let's just start from there. How are you? I'm doing exceptionally well, although I can complain. I have every reason to complain, but I'm not going to. Nobody's going to listen anyway. So I decided <laughs> to keep my head down and get the job done. OK, so that's a good thing. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, I'm a, I'm a, I shouldn't say a big fan, but I'm the, of the same school of, um, if I'm riding a bike and I fall, which of course had to happen when I was little, and like you fall, blood's coming out, I look around and you're like, no one's here, so I might as well just go home and clean up my mess. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And what I've learned is, and what that tells me for me is that it's not saying that, that everything is peaches and cream. Yes, there's going to be challenges along the way. Just kind of mm -hmm. learn how to deal with them. I don't think things just get any easier. I think you as an individual, you as a founder, find better ways to deal with those challenges. So I think that's the one way I say, hey, look, the problems are there. And I'm grateful that they are there because that shows that we are doing something that we're working on. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So before, I mean, so there's there's two specific things that are in the news that I saw. And I'm like, oh, I need to sit and talk to Pierre. I go, and like, I definitely want to get his input because this is his industry. But I want to find out from May of 2020 to now, Give me, give us all the update of what happened. I mean, we're still in the, I mean, we're at the beginning of the pandemic at that point. We had no idea what it was going to be. And I mean, literally we are now over, I mean, a year and a half passed. So what happened? Yes. Thank you. Um, definitely. That's a great question. As you can see, 2020 was actually a rough year for a lot of businesses. A lot of companies actually went out of business. And for us, luckily we were actually in the transportation space which where a lot of the activities was happening, but even us, we had our own fair set of, uh, set of challenges as well. But what we did through the pandemic was actually kind of really think about, okay, well, how do we really position ourselves 
to still be a winner in the space. So what we did that was great. We kind of focused our idea to helping companies that was moving essential products, you know, as far as good uh, food and beverages. So that kind of helped us weather the storm through COVID. Um, the year prior to that, that year we did 577K in revenue. Um, even through COVID was actually able to 3X our revenue and continue to grow. And also this year, 2021, we'll also receive investment from Kyrie Irving. Um, wait, wait, Kyrie P- Irving. wait, wait, Pierre, Pierre, let's just hold on for a little bit because you, you were speeding through. So during that time when we spoke, one of the biggest things that were happening was, I mean, there are a lot of truckers that are on the road. I mean, you guys were like at the, the essence, like that the community of truckers was the lifeline. Other, other than being doctors um, that were on the front line in the, the medical world, I mean, the truckers were getting the equipment to everyone getting food, getting equipment, et cetera. Um, There's a lot of locations that were closed. And so there was like not any like rest stops. There was not any food. Um, The fear of what was happening in the industry. And then a lot of people just walking away. So what actually happened? I mean, so now that it's gotten back to like somewhat of a normal stance, I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but somewhat of a normal stance. What happened to those truckers? I mean, look, what happened to a lot of individuals that just like, did they stay on? Did they come back? Like what, what was... The, the end result to everything that happened. Man, I'm glad you really rephrased that. Thank you again, because the end result wasn't really something that we all expected in trucking. As a matter of fact, a matter of about 86,000 truckers left trucking through the pandemic, right? And those truckers are not coming back. Okay. And the reason for that was also a lot of trucking companies was going out of business through the pandemic. For example, if you was a company that was, you know, delivering mattresses, there is no business for you to deliver through the pandemic. Nine out of 10, you'll probably go out of business. So a lot of trucking companies went out of business. A lot of drivers have lost their jobs. And the sad thing about it, which is also a reality, I'm sorry, my phone keep ringing. The sad okay. thing about it, which is also a reality, is that those truckers that left the industry, that left the industry for gig economy platforms like Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, you know, in today's age, why would anyone be a truck driver and be on the road for 30 days, have to deal with brokers, cannot find good paying freight. They're on the road moving the most essential goods for hours for us as consumers, but them themselves, they're not seeing their family. They're not eating the proper food. They're not getting the proper rest. Why would anyone in today's age be a truck driver when they can drive Lyft or Uber and make a thousand dollars and be home to their family every week? And I mm-hmm. think that we saw that that's exactly what happened in trucking. A lot of truckers left because trucking doesn't, provide them the aboard mobility trucking does not provide them the flexibility that they look for so they're left so that right here put us in a bigger problem that we're in right now as you can see the driver shortage is constantly going up now we're short about a million truck drivers when covid happened a lot of manufacturers went offline there really wasn't manufacturing no product but when things open back up now there's a surge of demand all over the country all over the world as a matter of fact there's a big backup on supply chain logistics so what's happening is the shortage of drivers is actually creating another bottleneck because now shippers can get their goods delivered to their consumers, especially for these holidays here. Us consumers, we know we want to get our Christmas gifts out the way, but unfortunately this year is going to be a very challenge for all supply chain logistics companies because the driver shortage, number one, the uh, manufacturers that are coming back online to replenish all the product that was pretty much, you know, all the shelves got empty through the pandemic. All those things now is a result of what we're seeing happening. Yes, is it good? In a sense, for business, absolutely, the freight market is great, right? Um, Carriers can actually make money. This is actually a motor carrier's market today because, again, the prices on a freight is actually higher than any other time. But unfortunately, the driver shortage now, who's going to get impacted or who's going to feel that impact the most is us, the consumers. The less drivers that we have to move our goods across the country, 
the higher those proxies or no commodities become and us, the consumers, we end up paying for that. So this is why, again, I talk about the driver challenges. I talk about, you know, currently the way trucking operate in the 20th century. We need to bring trucking into the 21st century to make it more appealing. So more younger individuals, more younger men, younger women can see trucking as a viable option for them to actually make good income. Until we do that, this entire industry is going to suffer. But unfortunately, the person that's going to pay for that the most is us, the consumers. Well, one of the things where, and look, you articulated that so well, because it's one of the things that um, when I said that I saw two things that in the media within, I mean, within a week's time, I'm like, I go, oh my God, I have to get Pierre back on because um, we're definitely seeing the, I mean, we're, I was in California two weeks ago um, on a much, much, much needed break. you like, you really, you don't realize how fast 18 months go by and you're t- tightly wound up. And in California, I went, I mean, look, I, the first thing I saw, like, I went to the, um, where the, uh, the, the uh, truck, what, what are they, they are, what's the proper language? The truck, the freight, the, the freight. Where, you talk about the port? Yeah, the port. Um, okay. And I was like, I mean, I'm always fascinated because I just love seeing how, like, you know, the, the, the ins and outs of things. I mean, I'm like a kid in a candy store whenever I'm seeing something that's new to me. I go, and I know in Boston by, by the seaport, I always see those things, the, the, the freights um, coming in, coming out. You're seeing those big, huge tanker, the, the, the big boats, um, the yep. ships, I should say. Um, but in California, I was not only watching in the port, but I was watching all the boats that are just waiting out and just waiting to come in. And so yep. the bottleneck of people trying to find ways to get these babies off the boat to get to the, to the trucker. So of course now I'm like, fascinated i'm taking pictures i'm looking i'm talking to people um it's all over the news it's it's hitting the news like gangbusters because everyone's like everyone's talking about the holidays the holidays around the corner um people are talking about schools school the, um, the shortage of food getting into the schools because we cannot we're paying xyz amount of money for food because we can't get the food that's usually shipped from certain areas to us um are you still with us yep. yes i'm still with you okay so how do we resolve this? How does that I mean? Like, I go. I know you just went through this whole tech concept of like bringing bringing um, us into this century, getting younger people um, younger people involved, but it's not happening right now. It's not happening right now. How do we solve the problem right at this moment? Because it's not even just for the holidays. I mean, I'm a Haitian kid. You're a Haitian kid. And then you know what? My child's not getting a toy this Christmas. We're gonna you're gonna have to be patient. You're gonna have to wait. You're gonna get a big no from me. So besides that part, how are we? To get food to the schools, that's more of an important, more of a focus for me. Um, we have a, during the pandemic, we saw a massive food shortage. Um, we're seeing uh, technical items needing to be at the hospitals that are not getting there. Uh, we clearly have a major problem. How are we going to solve it right now? Man, that's a great question, and I think um, the best way to answer that question is for sure. I can tell you that this is not something that the transportation industry is going to figure it out itself. We actually need the government to step in and kind of help make, you know, there's a lot of regulation in the space that's preventing shippers or global supply, um, you know, companies bringing their freight cost of tariffs, you know, cost of getting those ships docked over here. Those things are very expensive and it's actually hurting a lot of companies bottom line. So first and foremost, I think our government definitely have to take a step and understanding exactly where those bottlenecks at. Number two, I think also a lot of those ports, the problem with the ports, a lot of drivers will tell you, they do not have a great experience going into the port. So this is not something most drivers are incentivized to do. Because when you run in a port, you're getting paid per load that you move throughout the day. 
And sometimes, like you said, the Port of California, the Port of Elizabeth, New Jersey, sometimes it can take about to eight to 10 hours for a driver to pick up one container out of that port. That driver is not getting paid by the hour. That driver is getting paid per load. So when you take 10 hours for a driver to pick up a load to make it to the final destination, and again, by regulation, that driver is only allowed to work 14 hours per day, there's nothing much that driver can do. And I think there's a lot of things that the ports can do to improve um, the workers. I myself, as a driver, I could tell you one thing I hate the most is running into the port. Because again, the people that operate the cranes, those work for big unions. They get paid big money, right? And not to take anything away from them, and this is not to vilify them. I understand we all part of that ecosystem, but we all have to work with each other here. These individuals, they'll take break any 15 minutes. They don't care if your container is right there that's supposed to load you. They'll go and take a break, a 15-minute break in front of you. They'll go take an hour break in front of you. And they'll do a shift, I mean, a shift switch right in front of you. They don't care. Again, they're getting paid big bucks by the hour because they work for these big unions. But you as the driver, the person that's responsible for shipping 74% of all goods across this country is still getting treated as a second-rate citizen. It's still getting treated as somebody that is not valuable. So again, I think bringing our government into the ecosystem to understand here, one, there's a big challenge here around regulation. Two, how do we talk to these union companies to understand their behavior, the way they operate their port system is not efficient for drivers? Because again, we have a family to take care as well. We wanna make sure that our bottom line is constantly being improved. We don't wanna spend 10, 12 hours at a port to pick up one container when we can do other loads, which is drive-in or refrigerated load. So this is why we're seeing all this back up in a port because those bottlenecks have been around for ages. I've talked about them, companies talks about them, but again, Nobody wanted to do anything about it until it started affecting their bottom line, which is what we're seeing today. And everybody's lo looking for any solution that we can come up with. And for me, nine out of 10, I think one of the biggest challenges that this country or this industry, transportation, is facing is that you have people creating laws and regulation in trucking that never spent a day in trucking, never spent a day in operation, never spent a day beyond the wheel of a truck. But here they are setting up laws and regulation that affect us every day, that affect the small businesses. Another crazy statistic is that 92% of this entire $800 billion market are small businesses, small companies that operate five or six trucks or less. So those companies, their margin is very slim to none. They can barely reinvest into technology that can give them better efficient systems or processes to continue to grow their businesses. So they're stuck in the 20th century. And again, when we look at the people that are creating these laws, the people that are creating these regulations, they do not reflect the small businesses that keep America moving forward. So I definitely think that this is a problem bigger than me as a founder and CEO or bigger than the trucking company or the entire industry can fix itself. I think the government definitely have to step in and really look at the problem again, not just from, um, from a politician standpoint. We have to really look at it from the people that operate in that space every day. They're screaming and telling you, here's the challenge. Here's the potential solution. Those people deserve to have a seat to hear them out because I think that's where we can start putting our heads together to provide better solution. Again, for our children, for the schools, medical supply, we do not need any one of those things to be authored through, um, you know, through the operation. Again, our children dependent on these meals. You know, somebody's grandmother is dependent on that medical supply. Somebody's grandparents is waiting on an oxygen tank to get to the hospital, right? So if we have a bottleneck in entire supply chain logistics, again, it's not just a problem that affects trucking, that's a problem that can affect every American citizen in this country. And we need to take it as something that's serious. Well, you know what, let's just like uh, add a little uh, extra element to it. So that's the second story that I saw. Um, now again, bringing the whole entire industry into this century um, and beyond is the autonomous um, trucks. So 
that's one of the things where now you're like, okay, the problem is that we don't have enough truckers. I go, and then you yep. have the MITs, the Stanford, you have all these like schools that are coming up with like, I go, hey, you know what? Let's just bring tech into this. Um, we have, um, what, who was it that was just, that just announced where they are going, um, it was um, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is now going into, I think it was the pharmaceutical. Do you want me to hop onto your computer? Yep, yep, my phone about to die. Let me get on the computer, yep. I love this. Look at that. Just boom. Are we waiting for Okay, why are you flipping? Oh, there you go. Okay. Here I am. All right, there we go. Um, so so Mark Cuban uh, just had suggested that he's going into the pharmaceutical, I believe, um, distribution. Um, and then you have all these schools that are like uh, testing out their autonomous uh, trucks right now because they want to be part of the solution. So what happens now? So you have a lot of these individuals. So as a, a consumer, I'm in my car, and number one rule is I don't want you behind. I don't want you in front of me. I want you behind me. So I see a truck, and it's in, especially in Massachusetts, there's a certain hour of the day. So I always know when. When I was in California, I was driving from San um, Santa Monica to San Jose, and truckers were just out all the time. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this because in in New England, certain hours, there's certain hours that you know where I'm like, all right, I'm fine. But if I get past the 5 p.m. But witching time, you know, the truckers are out and I like I zoom in front of you. I will do 100 miles. Yes, that's right. I will do 100 miles per hour just to get away from the truck because I don't want you in front of me. I want you behind me. So now I'm going to have to trust a trucker, that, a truck that's automated. So now it's automated. Yes, there's a human being inside of it, because obviously we know about the car that killed the individual, even though the person was in the car. They were, look, they were looking at their phones. They were not looking on the road and the uh, individual died. So now you're going to have these autonomous trucks on the road. Number one, what does that mean for us, the consumers, the individuals that are in our car, in our safety? And number two, what does that mean for the industry in a whole? Because now we already have a low numbers of truckers. How do truck young truckers get into, involved in the industry when we're combating with um, robots driving our trucks? Man, oh man, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, I, like, I like to load it in so that way I say nothing and I let you talk because you're so good. No, absolutely. No, I really appreciate those questions. So yeah, definitely. So um, so autonomous, right? Autonomous is something that we really, really Wait, have I'm to gonna pause about. you for a second. Take off your hat because now that you're inside, like I can't see your face. Okay, there you are, there you are, that beautiful right. face. So um, autonomous, right? So now autonomous is just like you mentioned, right? That's something that first we have to get the public buying, right? But unfortunately, when it comes to, you know, big brothers, when it comes to, you know, big tech making money, you know, like I know you and I, they do not care about our safety. It's all about the bottom line. So yes, yeah, so if autonomous can become that thing where it can really pump a lot of money into investors' pocket, absolutely, everybody will actually jump on that bandwagon. But however, let's be cautious when we're talking about just autonomous truck, because number one, our infrastructure is not there yet to support autonomous trucks. That's number one. Number two, you're talking about safety, right? We live in an age where people are driving, doing their makeup, people driving or texting and scrolling down their phones, right? Again, autonomous truck can't read that, hey, this person next to me is texting, right? Autonomous is not gonna read that. So at the end of the day, this is another safety risk that we put in the public at large. And before we go into putting autonomous into our highway, what I myself, I think that definitely needs to be happening just like every truck driver have to go through this rigorous um, training process to obtain their CDL drivers, I think every motorist should go through a training of understanding how do they drive on a highway next to trucks. 
Because I can tell you a lot of time accident happened. It's not to say it's the driver's fault, but the driver had to react because the motorist, you know, made a sudden move on the highway. So if we can, one, teach, um, you know, the motorist how to drive around safety, around um, autonomous trucks or around tractor trailers on the highway, that's one plus that I see that autonomous can do. Now, the other positive side of it is, yes, of course, it will allow, um, you know, manufacturers and, you know, suppliers to move their goods across the country a lot faster, a lot more efficient and not worried about the driver shortage. But to what extent does that mean? Yes, maybe from Texas to New Jersey, you may not have that issue, right? Because it's all on the highway, it's an autonomous truck driving, if it has become a thing. So yes, you can have your freight come in a lot faster. Now, what happened when we're talking about the last mile, right? Again, when we're talking about autonomous truck, now, can a truck go down 42nd Street in Manhattan and make a right turn to deliver at a specific uh, right in or a specific Walgreen? No, that truck would not be able to do that. So what that tells you is that you're going to need more drivers than that exist today to be readily available to jump in each truck's. Right. It's going to be a, a meeting location where a driver can jump in that truck and then do the final mile. So that's going to create a lot more of a demand for truck drivers. But again, autonomous trucks is not going to be the solution to destigmatizing trucking. Yes. If I'm driving an autonomous truck, it's still the same regulation that I have to deal with. It's still probably working 13, 14 hours per day, hustling back and forth. It still might be in a sense to where I have no upward mobility as a truck driver. I'm going to start as a driver and eventually die as a driver. As a matter of fact, before I die, you guys are already thinking about building a robot to replace me. So again, the drivers see no value on why would they join this industry when eventually you're going to replace them with robot? Why do I need to go get a CDL? So I think, again, those approaches, although it may sound like it could be some um, short-term solution uh, solution to our long-term problem. Mm -hmm. However, I think it ended up creating a longer problem because now if we don't destigmatize trucking, if we don't promote why it's worth having a CDL, if we don't promote the upward uh, mobility in trucking, I could tell you one thing, this generation would not cut for it. This generation, they care about work, life, balance, and culture. And trucking does not provide any one of those. So I don't understand how you can go ahead and build 100,000 autonomous trucks. Yes, it can help move that freight from a long distance standpoint. But when you get into the last mile, you got another challenge to deal with here. So I think, again, autonomous, yes, I can see where it can add some values, but I can see also where it will create more of a demand in the trucking industry. But Jody, to be honest with you, the transportation industry does not have a shortage of trucks. We do not have a shortage of cargo of goods that need to be moved. We actually have a shortage of drivers that's willing to operate those equipment to move those goods. So yes, we can bring 100,000, 300,000 autonomous trucks into the industry to help with the long distance freight. But when you're talking about more regional, when you're talking more of the last mile, that's going to be another challenge. And safety is going to be another issue when you're talking about these inner cities, when you're talking about New England, when you're talking about New York, when you talk about North New Jersey. You know, when you talk about these metro areas, I think um, companies going to find themselves in a much greater challenge because if you have autonomous trucks moving the freight, that means you will be able to move freight a lot faster. But do you have the, um, the supply at the you know, at a meet intersection to be able to, su to support the amount of volume that you have coming in. Then again, that could create another backlog of freight that needs to go to the last mile delivery. So that's something that I think we definitely need to think about when we talk about autonomous truck. It's not something that, you know, automatically overnight, we're going to see it on our highways, but I think mm -hmm. there's, you know, our infrastructure needs to be in place for it. And as we can see, um, that's one of part of the um, Biden administration, they talk about infrastructure. And I'm pretty sure 
somebody's probably talking to them about, okay, well, how do we build infrastructure to support autonomous truck? Well, but, the thing is, well, well, being in uh, Massachusetts, I mean, where, I mean, again, MIT and I mean, these are the, the areas that the schools that are actually um, testing this, this out. I live in a quintessential New England town, tiny, tiny little street where it's like, it's two way, but only one car can go through. And so it's very interesting when you say that, because there are, when the big trucks come through, we, I mean, everyone, everyone knows and everyone's like, cutting corner, cutting corner, like, oh, and, and we're like watching and they, the truckers even say, um, your streets are really tiny. I'm like, I go, well, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's not that tiny. I mean, it's just, we live in a town where it's small and it's petite and I go, and they, they don't know, they don't, they don't know. And so it's really interesting how this discussion is coming up over and over again. But I mean, it caught my attention so much that I'm like, I go, you know what? I have to, I have to find Pierre anyway. I go, but this is even better. Cause like things kept on coming up that I was like, I go, this is something that we're definitely going to talk about. Um, before we, cause like, I want to definitely like talk about like what happened to you. So we started talking about it, but I stopped because like, I wanted to focus on what's, what's happening in the news right now. Um, what other things do you see as a barrier to us solving the problem? Because obviously, I mean, I mean, it's, it's the end of October holiday season is in full, I mean, in full effect, they've been telling people buy it now, buy it now, buy it now. People are rushing to buy it, but they're not getting it. The U.S. Post Office, Postal Office is saying how they're adding so many more jobs um, so that way they can get more people on the um, on the job so that way they can get more packages delivered. What else do you see as a barrier that we should be aware of in the next two to three months? Um, the next, uh, the barrier for the next two to three months, number one, is that port that we talked about, right? That mm-hmm. right here, that's it's like really, really congested. But I think another part that I think that what we can do to help again is is trucking school, right? The process mm-hmm. of actually obtaining the CDL license and the regulation around that. So right now, currently an 18 year old cannot do interstate, right? Yes, he can get a CDL, but he mm-hmm. can only do interstate. Meaning, okay, if he lives in Jersey, he can only operate that truck in New Jersey. And I find that as one of our biggest challenge and also one of our key to unlock the driver shortage that we have right now. And here's why I say Yeah, that. you say, but you say that, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but I mean, I remember how, how I was when I was 18 years old with a regular car let alone yep. a truck. And so even like, I mean, in Boston, we have, I mean, I think we, we talked about this last time where, I mean, uh, on Star Drive in Boston, when you're going through and we have low bridges and the dr- the trucker is like, I can get through, I can get through, I can get through. And you're like, no, and that's an experienced driver. Mm-hmm. Now you have an 18 year old that's inexperienced and hasn't been on the road that much. People are going to be very cautious about that. So yes, it takes the job, it fills a spot, but are you, do you have the experience to be on that road and to, have a, a heavy load where I need to slow it down. And yet I can't because I'm like, I'm at a, a certain speed. I'm a very, very heavy load. I'm inexperienced. I mean, this is just like all these different factors. I'm sorry, mind blown, scared. I'm glad you bring that up. up. I'm glad you bring that up. So if you go back to uh, like, if you think about traditionally how it is for somebody to obtain their CDL, again, most trucking school worry about numbers, right? How much people mm-hmm. can I turn? How much people can I train to get them out of the classroom so I can get the next student in, right? So so everything becomes a numbers game. Nobody's really taking that time to truly teach safety. Nobody's really taking that time to truly teach business acumen. Nobody's really teaching that time to understand the public safety at large, right? So again, it becomes, hey, come through and get this course. In 30 days, you get a CDL license, then you go find a job. So this is why one of our, uh, me and uh, two other partners, Adam Wingfield and another uh, former trucker as well from uh, Marcus, which is on a 314 Logistics, their own company, we all decided all together to launch something called Next Gen. 
And what Next Gen is, is actually a trucking school for the next generation of truckers. And what we want to do, we want to leverage virtual reality to really give them real in-time training of how to operate a truck. And number two, before we even put them on the road, we have something called a peer-to-peer training. So for 30 days, we will connect them with an existing driver or a driver that owns his own truck with at least five to 10 years experience. And that, that student will get in that truck with that experienced driver for 30 days and be on the road with him to understand everything they need to understand before that individual can actually go and apply for a job. So for us, like being an apprentice. Absolutely. Be a real apprentice, but actually doing a real job, doing it with somebody that's actually been in it for years, where Mm -hmm. they're not rushing to put the next driver in the seat, where they can actually take their time to teach that that new driver everything that they need to learn, everything that they need to be aware of, how dangerous this machinery is when you're operating it, also how much money you can make if you do things the right way and protect your safety and public uh, and protect the uh, public safety at large. Well, I you just said, that, well, you just said, well, you just said the right way. So that's like, that's a key thing. A lot of the experienced drivers, some of them have really bad habits and yeah. those bad habits can be translated. So how are you finding the, the best of the best to treat, to, to, to teach the next generation? Yes, absolutely. So all of the drivers that we were bringing as instructors ourselves, they have to have at least five years of experience and a clean driving record. You know, no accident, no certain moving violation that, that to be qualified because they will be making an additional $2,000 a month just training somebody, right? So okay. they can make good money on that. So we require that they have a clean uh, safety driving record, that they don't have no violation because again, they're the one responsible to, for teaching the next generation. So we have to make sure that they understand how important that is for not only just trucking because that same trucker, guess what? Their children get on the highway as well. Their aunts get on the highway. Their mother get on the highway. Same thing for me. My mom, my family get on the highway. And the last thing I want is an experienced driver to be next to them that get into an accident. Yes, of course, that's going to affect me. So that's why I think the number one thing is safety. But also, that's something that our government can step in and help, number one. And number two, the point that I was going to get at to where they put the limit on drivers 18 years old. And I think you're right, right? 18 years old, you know how to drive. They're still young. But for me, I want to counter that. But how come our 18-year-old can go to war and carry arms and kill, right? But you're telling me they cannot drive an 18-wheeler. I'm not saying that they cannot. I'm not, no, we're not saying that. But you know that a lot, I mean, like, again, I'm going to use my, I mean, I Mm -hmm. drive a manual, okay? I could eat, I could drive, I could sit there and be on the phone all at the same time. And I'm like, literally, I'm driving my manual with one hand, okay? So need to say, I know how I was when I was younger, okay? And I know how a lot of my friends are. I know how you see the, the in regards of you cannot, you have to have a, 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 um, a phoneless, a handless uh, phone because they're distracted. It's not that they're bad drivers. They could be phenomenal drivers. They have their licenses. I go, but I know I was one of those people where your friends are in your car, you're talking, you think about that. Now you're responsible for a rig. Yes. And to be honest with you, the biggest challenge I see on that and maybe that's the conversation, that's the biggest elephant in the room is that culturally, again, things are shifting. A lot of younger people are starting to use more marijuana for recreational purposes. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be another huge barrier that's preventing drivers from one, getting into the industry and two, existing drivers are getting kicked out of the industry mm-hmm. because of those dirty urine, because of the use of uh, marijuana. And it's becoming a recreational drug, but still federally, you know, that's not something that, you know, drugs in the highway just don't mix. So that's another barrier that we- Again, that, again you're bringing Fairly. all these, so so I'm bringing the d- distraction, you're bringing the drug use and the alcohol use, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so now you bring all these things together and then you're telling, a, you're saying an 18 year old, 
I'm not saying an 18 year old shouldn't drive a truck. I'm just saying that the concerns become higher because they have less experience. Absolutely. And I think this is where training becomes the number one thing that we really focus on is safety. If we can really educate the same way, again, we can educate an 18 year old. We can really teach them how to handle a weapon, which is dangerous as well. We teach them exactly how to use that weapon. It's the same way, I believe, we can incorporate that same safety training to them and understanding, number one, the type of equipment that they're operating and understanding exactly what type of disaster they can cause on a highway, right? When they're not paying attention. And also, number two, let's not forget, drivers do get arrested from in slaughter for certain accident when you operate an 18 wheeler. So 100%. this is not just because you, you know, you're driving a big truck and you it's an accident, you kill somebody, and it's just okay, well, it was an accident. No, a lot of drivers, especially you know, if you're taking medication, you know, you're not supposed to be behind a wheel and mm-hmm. you take a medication and you kill somebody. That's a manslaughter charge, right? Mm-hmm. You're under the influence and you're driving a truck and you kill somebody. That's a manslaughter charge. So we have mm-hmm. to really understand, not just understanding it, but also expose to them the risk of really making the wrong decision when you deciding to become a CDL driver. So for me, I think is how do you create or foster an ecosystem to where you can start taking these individuals from young and not just taking them just to see trucking as a just being a truck driver? How do we really get them to understand they are the next executive in supply chain logistics tomorrow? They are the next innovative solution for supply chain logistics tomorrow. So when they're coming into the industry, as opposed to feeling like, man, they're just going to get, you know, get a CDL, be a driver in three months, their belly sitting on the steering wheel and then not seeing their family. Don't nobody want to sign up for that. But if you can actually show that specific driver a roadmap to what success looked like for him five years from him obtaining his license, hey, you can work here for a year, get their experience, and here's an opportunity here to become an owner operator when you own your own truck and run your own business. And then from there, there's another opportunity for you to scale your business because you work in the transportation space already. You know who the key stakeholders are. And then show that driver now, how do you duplicate that and do it over to the next generation of drivers providing an opportunity? I think that approach right there will allow us to instill that safety component and not just looking at trucking just as a regular job. We have to bring the pride back into trucking. We drivers have to understand the value that they're adding to our society when they operate these trucks. And I think, again, that will kind of have them more in a responsibility mindset because you bring them in and have them feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. It's not just getting the CDL. And not just for the 18-year-old and, and the millennials or the young generation, but also if you look at the formerly incarcerated men and women market, right? Mm-hmm. Hundreds, about 250,000 men and women are free into our street annually, but there's not an ecosystem that can help them with housing and employment opportunity. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're talking about we have an $800 billion industry, short a million truck drivers. Again, how do we create a training? How do we create a curriculum to give to these individuals while they're incarcerated? Again, instill safety, operation, business acumen, how you deal with the public at large. How do you deal with shipper customers? How do you communicate with broker partners? The type of attitude that you need to have on the road. I believe, again, if we can take that approach and start teaching those individuals, we can reduce their recidivism rate. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time a young person get um, sentenced to go to jail, guess who pays for that? Our tax dollars are paying for that. So how yeah. about we take our tax dollars and distribute it somewhere well, somewhere else? Well, I'm going can... to add. No, I'm going to add one more. A group, another group of people that are totally ignored are our military. Our, 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 marital, our military folks are getting out of the military Veteran. and they're like, I go, where do we go for jobs or even yeah. just a bridge or something? where I go, the skill set that you learn in the military can be used perfectly well in the business world. I go, it's better. I mean, this is why Israel is a startup nation because those skill sets are being used 
in the business world. And I go, and I think that we are, we're neglecting the, yes. we'll call the training that we're giving individuals in the military. They come out and they're like, where do I go from there? See, there you go. And that answers the questions that every founders of colors, women founders are telling you is that number one, those blue collar jobs, those people that work in those jobs, they have the innovation to bring solutions to it. But unfortunately, since we don't have the Ivy League background, right, since we don't fall into that culture club, unfortunately, some of them are saying we don't deserve the investment to be innovative. We don't deserve to be in certain room. And I think this is where America is beyond the curve. If you can really create those ecosystems that give me an opportunity to be innovative, where I get the support, you'll be surprised how many solutions trucking companies can provide mm -hmm. into this space that would make things a lot easier. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we're dealing with as a nation. We need to look at those people, not as just, you know, somebody that, you know, society outcast as, you know, a messed up individual or as a mm -hmm. criminal or a young person that don't know how to handle. Hey, look, everybody has to start somewhere. So for right. us as a nation, how do we create that pipeline to give those people the opportunity? Because again, when I was, in that community that I grew up in, Jody, unfortunately, you know, there was nothing remotely that looked like success for me, right? This right. is why a lot of us, we become, we end up becoming product of our environment because that's all we see. We're not being exposed to opportunities. We're not being exposed to growth, to innovation. So guess what? We end up become a product of our environment. And I think the more, you know, we keep those things as a social club or you have to have access to be part of that social club, is the more that we're going to see, you know, certain communities going to continue going backwards while other communities are thriving. But then again, as a whole, as an entire nation, we're going to continue asking ourselves, where do we go here? I think well, we need well, to this is, well, well, this is this is a great way to talk about like I go, where do we go from here? Because my beautiful Haitian sensation, you have been <laughs> everywhere. I mean, literally, I have been watching you everywhere. Like my fingers start getting tired of like, 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 like. So, so <laughs> here it is. Oh, I'm gonna like this one too. Oh my god, I go like I'm just I, I'm just gonna stop liking them because everyone's liking them. So, no <laughs> so let's just let's just talk about um uh, in a, the short time that we have left um from the time because again you start teasing it but then I I pulled you back yep. um from the time that we spoke in March I'm sorry in May May 14th 2020 we yep. are now at end of October what happened what Man. what happened what happened to you and what happened to your company a lot happened to me first and foremost <laughs> right <laughs> uh, emotionally a lot happened and i think that every black man you know can relate to that right from what we were seeing from racial inequities you know to raising capital and just kind of deal with everything coming down mentally it was a lot emotionally it was a lot so i'm not going to sit here and act like Hey, look, I'm just a super strong. I know I can be strong, but even the strong need help sometimes. So that was very rough for me to get through and still kind of dealing with the, you know, after effect of that. However, I know that um, I'm working on something bigger than me, right? Number one, it's an industry that I was affected by. My divorce was because I was on the road, right? And not seeing my family. So the relationship that I have with that problem is real personal, meaning that as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to keep fighting for the solution because it affected me personally. And number two, and I know it's constantly affecting millions of truckers as we speak right now. And then three is that, you know, I have a moral obligation and a fiduciary duty to execute on behalf of my investors. As you know, any founder that raised capital, your job, number one job of a startup is number one, never run out of capital. And number two, figure that shit out. Excuse my French. That's just how it is. There's no if, buts, and maybe about it. Figure it out. They're investing you, not because your idea was just so brilliant. 
Yeah, that's why the investors say they don't invest in uh, ideas. They invest in people. They invest in you because they know you have the grit. You have what it takes to figure it out and mm-hmm. bring them a return. So I always keep that as a forefront for me to remind me what I'm doing here. There's no small task. However, we did get our butt kicked through 2020 through the pandemic, but we stay focused on understanding exactly where do we put our focus on to stay alive, which we did well. We started really, instead of just kind of, you know, operating in a sense where it's just a broad market or hauling any commodities, we really shift our focus to be more narrow towards, you know, essential products that was being delivered. Again, like I was saying, which is beverages, food and toiletries, those stuff. And we've seen a huge uh, positive effect of that that was allow us to actually 3X our numbers from the year before. And when that, when COVID happened and all those companies was going out of business, it was really a good moment for us to really pause and say, okay, well, what are we doing here? What is the challenge here? What is it that this industry really need? As all startup, you know, you go with one attention saying, hey, look, this is what we're going to build. But as you start collecting data, the market tells you something totally different. And I think for us, we was luckily enough or graceful enough to be able to pay attention to our data, pay attention to what the drivers are telling us, pay attention mm-hmm. to what our customers are telling us instead of just building something on our own. And what the data was telling us was that, yes, drivers appreciate the flexibility that we build at first. Let me say, because you know, we went to market connecting drivers to trucking companies. Mm-hmm. Drivers saw a lot of values in it, but the feedback that we was getting was that, hey man, I wanted to be part of fleet and why are you sending me to go work for Joe Schmo Trucking that don't know how to dispatch me that have me waiting for five, six hours, right? Mm-hmm. My pay is not that great. And we saw that, although it sounded like a big challenge and chaos, and I, I'm a firm believer in wherever there's chaos, there's an opportunity to cash in if you pay attention to the noise. And that's exactly what we did. Through the pandemic, about 60,000 new trucking companies came into trucking. And the reason for that, that because wow. they're trucking as a viable option to make money. So everybody and their mother wanted to buy a truck. But mm-hmm. what they know they was going to run into was the challenge of one, finding CDL, good CDL drivers, mm-hmm. two, retaining those drivers, three, finding good insurance rate, and four, finding great paying loads. They didn't mm-hmm. know that was a challenge that it was going to run into. So a lot of those companies end up making this investment into buying a truck. Now the truck is just sitting down because they don't have no driver, but they have to pay insurance, they have to pay truck note, and they're pretty much ready to go into default with their loan. So that's when we saw this as an opportunity to say, okay, well, I have 18 years in the space. I've ran a trucking company myself. We did great by building a supply of drivers. Why don't we really build the Airbnb of trucking? And what do I mean by that is, why don't we take all these small businesses that are struggling with their asset because they can't find drivers? Let's put all these assets into one platform and create a model where the drivers can pick and choose what days and what loads works for him, mm-hmm. allow him to have greater control of his schedule and allow him to have greater control of his earning. Also, in other words, is allow that driver to operate like an owner operator without actually owning the truck. Yeah. As we started to pay attention to that, we saw that was the biggest challenge that there is in trucking today. There's about 4 million truck drivers that exist. 10% of those drivers are owner operators, meaning they own their own truck. Mm-hmm. Those drivers are the ones that can dictate where they go, who they haul for, and you know how often they stay on the road. The other yep. 90%, those are the drivers that work for trucking companies, whether they're doing 30, 40 days on the road, only coming home to see their family twice a month, and then they have to go right back out on the road. They have zero control of their schedule, zero control of their earning, zero control of any upward mobility. It's just go ahead and drive, go home when I tell you. But those drivers, they would love to have the same opportunity as the drivers that own their own trucks. But it is another challenge for them. 90% of truckers live paycheck to paycheck. 
90% of drivers have horrible credit. So it's very hard for a truck driver to go to a dealership and have 30 to 50K down as a down payment to purchase a truck on his own to become an um, uh, owner operator. Yeah, to become an owner operator. So we saw that as a viable option because, again, there was people that saw trucking as a viable opportunity. So what we did, since they had better credit, they had better financial stability. So we allowed them to purchase the truck. Once they purchase the truck, they register that truck onto our platform. Now those drivers have the ability to pick and choose when they want to work, what they want to make, and act like they're an owner-operator without actually owning a truck. And they're actually pretty much bringing a lot of values to our truck owners. They're making a lot of money passive, uh, passively at the same time, solving a bigger problem in trucking and making trucking more accessible and more um, pretty much easier for drivers to operate. So that's what we did. And Kyrie invested about half a million dollars um, and the company because of us, you know, targeting the, especially the female market and um, formerly incarcerated men and women. We launched it in this January this year. We launched it with our first three trucks. We're now up to 32 trucks and already done a million in revenue on that model and continue growing. We have a waiting list of about 71 trucks and a waiting list of 398 people ready to buy a truck. And I'm about to drop a last bomb on you. Maybe this part right here, probably keep it off the record. Wait, wait, right? pause, wait, 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 pause, pause, pause for a second before you drop the bomb. Okay, so wait, Kyrie, not a lot of people know Kyrie, just, just so you know, Kyrie, basketball player, Kyrie Irving, basketball player that's not playing basketball right now. Little, like a little, little bit of a drama right now, Kyrie. But needless to say, I go still entrepreneur at heart, investing in people, which is really great. So that's number one. Number two, are these, are, so you're buying the trucks or people are buying their own trucks and they're coming to you with their trucks? Yes, people are buying a truck. And this is just regular individuals, not just truck drivers or trucking companies. We have nurses, we have teachers, you know, doctors, you know, entrepreneurs. What's the average head. cost of a truck? Average truck of a course, right now is a crazy market, but average cost of a truck, brand new, you can find a truck for $150,000 up to $200,000. Mm -hmm. um, Pre-used, you can find a truck in a range between 70, 80, 90K, but a used used truck, you probably get something around 60K. But I always tell people to stay around 70 to 80K to get a pre-owned truck. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. So now, Greg, tell me what, what were you going to say? So now the bomb is we actually negotiating a $10 million term sheet right now from a debt facility. And that is going to actually accelerate growth. And here is the kicker. Traditionally, it's very hard for banking to, um, to give financing options to truck because it's a commercial loan. Mm -hmm. And they require that you have a CDL license to get a loan because again, to, to the bank is a risky investment if you don't have a CDL because, okay, well, if you can't drive the truck yourself, the truck is going to be sitting down there. So mm -hmm. what we found was a lot of people trying to get trucks, but that was actually in the way. So there's a debt facility that saw what we're doing that said, hey, we can actually help with the financing. And where instead of people going to traditional banking for financing and have to come up with 30, 40% down to yeah. purchase a truck, they can actually get that financing directly through our partners for 10% down right? Without having to go through the loops and holes to actually have a CDL, because again, our platform is the one that's going to run the truck. So that actually give us a full opportunity to accelerate growth. And we can go from 32 trucks to about 200 trucks in the next six months. That will reflect about five to 6 million a month in revenue and put us in a good position to raise valuation to do series A. So that's something that we're working on and we're very excited about it. And it can actually change the entire landscape again, not just for us as a company, but imagine the opportunity of letting, you know, marginalized communities become truck investors, you know, formerly incarcerated men and women become truck investors. And for us is actually creating a new asset class and giving opportunities and solving a bigger problem that's bigger than us. So I'm really excited for that.
I love it. I love that you, I mean, I love the process of how you got here. I love the fact that you have individuals that are seeing how we can actually change the way, I mean, change the way of the future in the, in the trucking industry. Uh, and, and that whole time you started at the beginning by saying we should not be seen as second class citizens. I mean, just, just the, I mean, during the pandemic, people realized um, truck drivers are not second class citizens. I go, yep. these are the individuals that are, are the superheroes as well. And I love the fact that you have found ways to make it even better where now we are helping communities grow that much faster so that way they could be um, added to that the, the growth of investment, understanding how their dollars can actually grow, um, not just for themselves, not just for their family, the future of their family, but also for the communities that they live in. So yay, 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 and yay. Again, my beautiful Haitian sensation. <laughs> Thank um, you. Thank you. Two last things, Ari. You already know what the last question is going to be because I end. I will always end the same way. But um, how's the family? Family's great. Um, you know, by the grace of God. Um, unfortunately, my son Juju, the one with Down syndrome, he has to go through surgery right after his birthday. His birthday is November 16, and he has to do surgery on the 17. But my guy is a trooper. The God that I serve is a strong God, so I'm not worrying about it. Yes, I know I sounds, you know, but. When the day comes, I'm going to cry. I'm going to be a little bit emotional, but I leave it into God's hand. I'm confident that everything will work out perfectly fine. He okay. took me from other situations to be where I am today. So there's no doubt here in my faith at all. So okay. I'm okay. And the other kids? Yes. Yeah, so my, my, my son, he's actually, his birthday is the 27th this month and my birthday is the 28th. So we were actually one day apart. So he's turning five and my daughter is getting so big. She's, oh my God, she's 12 now. Um, she talking about starting her own business. She, she is a founder and she says she goes to school with a lot of children that has, you know, skin problem, you know, as far as eczema and acne. So her, her friend trying to start a, a soap company to where that can help her peers in school with, you know, to deal with the skin, you know, challenges that they're having. So again, I guess I'm doing something right to inspire her to be a founder and CEO. And she actually pitched me her own business and it's pretty impressive. Well, tell her when she's ready, this podcast is ready for her. Definitely will do. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So, all right. My last question that you know I ask, and I will always ask every single time I end, um, if you had a personal question, a personal ask or a professional ask of anyone that's listening to answers, what would be your personal ask and what would be your professional ask? Ooh, personal ask um, would definitely be right now. I feel like, you know, I'm at the intersection. I really feel good about what's happening. And there's a lot of challenges, a lot of anxiety. Personal ask would, what for me is somebody that done it before that have been there please um i welcome the support on helping me exactly how do i battle um well not battle how do i handle that roller coaster feeling of course of a startup one minute you up here and next minute you're at the bottom of the pit so that's one personal question i would ask for to help um second is professional is myself um yes i've built multi-million dollar trucking companies before but i've never built a multi-billion trucking company with the potential of probably become a, you know, publicly traded company. So I would ask anybody that have done that before, what is it that I need to learn? Where do I need to really focus on, right? Do I focus on culture? Do I really focus on growth? What is it that I need to focus on to not only have an impact for my community, but also have an impact for our investors? So I definitely welcome anyone that can help with those two questions that will superly like, I mean, totally help me navigate the challenges that I'm going through and actually, you know, see things from a different from uh, point of view. So that would be my two questions. Thank you. I adore you. I'm so, and you know, the funny thing is, so I, like, I mean, I, I again, I met you, I saw you. I don't even, I can't remember how I saw you. Um, I, I honestly can't remember how I saw you, but I stalked you yeah. and you said yes. And we had the best conversation. So anyone that wants to understand who 
periods. You have to listen to the first episode because he talks about who he is, where he came, where he came from, etc. Um, but it's funny because my cousins in New York all follow you. And I didn't even realize that until I I literally was like, I mean, I think I, I like something of one of the 10 zillion things I like that you did, um, <laughs> giving you accolades. And I was like, I was literally watching all the Charles's. I mean, they were all on you. And I'm like, I go, look at that. Isn't that the funniest uh, thing? So yes, my, uh, I go, without even knowing all my, uh, uh, the male cousins all love what you're doing, how you're doing it. So you're getting support from the Charles's, not only from this one, but from many of Thank them. You. Just want you to know that right there. Um, but you it's know what? My, honestly, again, you know me, this is never going to be our last conversation. I mean, I think that I will probably talk to you again before the holiday season, just because things keep coming up that are, are so interesting to me and you're there, you're in it right now. So stay tuned. I may call you before the holidays and I may not call you. You don't know, but either way you are there and you have, I mean, you're not an academic where I don't want the information from the academic. I want the information from the person that's actually living it right now. Um, and this, what, what you provided was so much better and also it's more in depth than what I'm seeing in the news as a former news person. We do packages and the packages are, are only, it, it is, it's, it's, it's dual-sided. Sometimes it's one-sided. I'm only getting your view of this. I go, but at least I can get a lot of in-depth in yep. regards of my questions. And so I appreciate the fact that you are one of the individuals that I had on the podcast at the very beginning that I trust. I love your story. I, I've watched what you're doing. Um, you are not just the talk. You are the talk and the walk. And this is like very, very appreciated in every single way. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Jody. And this is just to show that I am not the exception. This is proof that I do work. We do work. So we need to push beyond us a lot more. I am not the exception. I am proof that we can build great businesses and we can solve real challenges across you know, our supply chain. So thank you for having me. Until next time, my love. Yes, you have my number. Reach out anytime. I'm here. Oh, thank you. You, don't have to, you don't have to tell me. I'm going to reach out whenever I want anytime. to. Anytime. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. Bye, honey. All right, bye-bye.